Hi, I'm Alan Henry. And I'm Matt Tamanini. And you're listening to The Pottis Couple. On today's episode, we'll be talking with our guests from the off-Broadway hit, Red Rose's Green Gold. But before we get to that, we're of course going to talk all things Broadway, and specifically the upcoming Broadway season now that we're in the thick of it. Right, Matt? Yeah, Alan, we, back in the fall, we did kind of like a three-episode, I don't know, kind of like a beta season. And now that we are into the new year, um, we're getting ready for a new theater season, the spring season, the second half of the 2017-2018 theater season. And this is time to kind of relaunch the Pottest Couple. We took a little bit of a break after those first three beta episodes because you, as the regional managing editor for Broadway World, were in charge of a little project that didn't really take that much work, but you were complaining about it anyway, our Broadway World Regional Awards. Me com- me complaining? That doesn't sound like me at all, Matt. Just going to let that one hang there for a while. <laughs> just just going to let that one go. Um, but yeah, no, that's a huge project um, with like 5,000 different regions and all these user submitted entries and we don't really have any way to verify them because they're from all around the world and lots of people complain so you kind of focused on that in the last uh, couple months of the year and now we're back ready to hit the ground running with the pottest couple in 2018 and it seems like the perfect way as we start our first real season of the pottest couple to talk about the spring season specifically on broadway now Alan, uh, there's a ton of shows coming in. Some have a lot more buzz around them than others. Some of them have no buzz, uh, and and really we don't hear much about them at all. But um, as you know, I'm coming up in March, so I'm trying to see as many of these things as possible. And I'm really excited about some of these things. Some of these things that I have no business being excited about, I am excited about. Um, But if you had to look at all of the shows opening in this spring half of the Broadway season... What are you most excited about seeing? Ooh, that's a good question. I know that's why. Uh, what I am asked. I most? Why am I? What am I most excited about seeing? Um, I mean, I'm going to break this up into two categories. I'm going to break it up into revivals and new musicals. Okay, because... I was. I just asked for one, but fine. Do whatever you want to do. Well, I'm I'm splitting the question into a two part question because it was a it was a big question. Of the new musicals, what am I most excited about? Um, I'm going to cheat and give you two shows. I'm really, really excited about Mean Girls because that's, of course, coming from, you know, a, a killer creative team that I'm sure is just going to do wonderful things. And I've heard wonderful things about the out of town tryout there. And then the other show that I'm really excited about going into the spring, and I know this is going to be, um, sort of really basic, but I'm really excited for Frozen because those Disney shows are really what got me into Broadway as a little kid. And I'm sure that, you know, it might not be high art, or maybe it will be, I don't know. But what I do know is that it's going to be a good time, and I'm going to enjoy it. Um, and then in terms of revivals, I'm not going to pick one either. I'm My lord, Alan, really- I asked you a question. I said, what one show are you most excited about? And you're going to give me 12. This is... This- well, I... Don't follow directions. Aren't there 12? There are not 12. I don't follow directions. Uh, um, I, I take my own road because it's the road less traveled. Oh, stop it, Robert um, Frost. Uh, no, I'm really, I can't, I can't give you one. I'm sorry because there's two revivals that I can't pick. I just knocked over my mouse because I got so infuriated. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm really excited for My Fair Lady, which I think is just so overdue for a revival and Carousel, which, uh, I'm excited because the cast, it's not necessarily my favorite show. It's problematic. For a couple of reasons. 
both of it's those problematic. Well, so was My Fair Lady in different ways, but both of those shows. I mean, actually, they're not that different ways. A little bit more extreme, but they're they're both products of their time. So they they're problematic shows, but uh, but greats and classics well, nonetheless. I, I think Carousel being far more problematic than My Fair Lady. Fair. Uh, pers- personally, I mean, someone might disagree and say they're both equally problematic. I will say I think there is a way to play My Fair Lady, both in terms of casting, direction, and what the cast does with it. Just have Eliza be... throw the shoes back at him at the end. You know, Eliza, well, get my I slippers. I don't know if it's that's Just you know, pick up the slippers and throw them at the guy's head, make him bleed, and then it's fine. I mean, I'm not sure that's exactly what I'm going for, but... Really, I think My Fair Lady comes... You're Canadian. You're nice. Well, I think My Fair Lady, and we're probably jumping into this too soon, but I think it really comes down to a case of power dynamic. And I think there's a way to play it. And I've seen it done a few different times. And I think there's a way to do that. And I know that the purists here are going to not necessarily like what I'm going to say, but I think there is a way to stage that in a sense that Eliza is making choices um for herself and not necessarily because she's in a position where he has power over her. Do you think that that might be one of the reasons why Bart Shear cast an Eliza who's older than Higgins? I mean, do you think that that plays with the power dynamic when Higgins might be more of a, of a stunted man child and he's finally going up against somebody who is a, a woman, a female who is powerful in her own right. And he's kind of probably been, a, you know, a rich kid his whole life and spoiled and had female, you know, Mrs. Pierce is a female that's in charge of his household, but she's subservient to him. Do you think that that age dynamic uh, might give us a strong Eliza to make kind of play that thing a little different than we're used to seeing? I mean, I've never seen Lauren Ambrose on stage, so I'm not quite sure exactly how old she plays just because they're, you know, you that's sort of hard sure. to, to tell ahead but of time. But, but it's very clear that she's not 21 and he's 60. You know, so no, if, if nothing else, they're going to read equal, even though she's, you know, what, four or five years older than him. So even if she's just equal age, she's not four generations his junior. No, absolutely. And what I'll say is that I've always sort of seen Eliza as really the more street smart of the two. I don't, and I know people are, again, this is just sort of how I've always seen it, because I've always seen it as sort of, a you know, a very strong female character. And I know that's not what the intention there was, but that's how I've seen it played. Um, and just to me, I think that as, you know, a strong woman, she's there because she's making certain choices to elevate herself. And yes, she's benefiting from him sort of coaching her, but I think she's doing that for herself and not because she's in a position where she's being used. Uh, and I think Henry Higgins really sort of is that man child. And I think even when they are significantly different in age, where she's a lot younger, I think that's that shows through the text where really Eliza is a lot more like Mrs. Pierce than sort of an ingenue, in my opinion, where she's sort of putting him in his place, but diplomatically. Um, yeah, I mean, I can see that. I mean, again, I, you know, this is based on a George Bernard Shaw play and Shaw was not shy about having strong women in his shows. And he was not shy about, illuminating social and um, class and uh, all kinds of differentiations between people and shining a light on them. So I, you know, I think that's a very valid way to read it. 
I don't know if that's the way that Bart Shearer is going to do it or not. I, I hope that he edges more towards that than a traditional presentation. You know, a lot of his Lincoln Center shows have been very true to the original. Now, Fiddler, which was not Lincoln Center, that kind of took a little bit of a different tone um, than a lot of the, the revivals in the past and the original. So I'm hoping that My Fair Lady does incorporate a little bit more of a modern sensibility than maybe... Uh, I, I don't know, the King and I or, or South Pacific have. That would that would be nice. I would appreciate that despite the really weird cast. I mean, I will say that I hope it's traditional in the sense of how it's staged. And I hope that... Sure, yes. It's And I hope that it's updated in the way that he reads the text. I, I agree um, with you. And I will say that while we're on the subject, um, I have heard that the Lincoln Center production will feature the restored original Broadway orchestrations, um, which apparently were redone a couple years ago uh, in England, because uh, they have not been heard on this side of the pond since. And so, because they did reduce it for the tour, and that's sort of what's been in licensing for the last however number of years it's been. Uh, so I'm really excited to hear the full score played out at Lincoln Center, which I think will be a treat even if the show's a dud, which I really hope it's not, because it's one of my favorites. Yeah, mine, mine as well. But back to my original question, since you gave me four shows of my question of what you are most excited for. But let's say I was the Broadway czar, and I could say, Alan, you can go to see one show in this spring season just once. I will give you a, a free pair of tickets what one would you pick? Would it be one of those four? Would it be Harry Potter? I'll even give you Harry Potter and Angels in America. I'll give you both parts if, if you're interested in that. But what would it be? What would be the one that you had to see from this spring slate? I mean, I'd probably take the Harry Potter tickets and sell them so that I could see four shows. Oh, Jesus. But Alan, follow the damn directions, man. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm not. Actually, no, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> of sorry. Of course you're not. Um, I'm not sorry. Um, no, but that's probably what I would do, to be honest. Um, if I can only see one show this whole season, oh God, Matt. Um, I mean, I'm going, I feel like I'm Eliza and you're my Henry Higgins and you're putting me on the spot here. Um, the rain in Spain. Um, I'm going to have to go with Mean Girls because that's sort of the one Damn that it. I really know the least about. And I know I've heard nothing from it. I've not listened to anything or seen anything, uh, except sort of the four press shots that we've had. So, I mean, that would be exciting just because I'd be, it's the only one I'd be going into, I think, completely blind. Damn it, Alan. <sighs> what was I supposed to say? Anything but that. That was going to be mine. Son of a gun. Yes, for the same reasons that you said, because I've seen My Fair Lady. Um, I've seen Carousel. I've seen the movie of Frozen. So those are things that are familiar to me. The fact that we're getting... A have, new- you, have you seen Rocktopia? That one's still available. No one's picked it. <laughs> I'm actually... I'm. I was super critical of the fact that somebody brought home for the holidays to Broadway uh, on this on today on Broadway over on Broadway Radio. I made fun of that show a lot. I'm actually nothing but pleased that Rocktopia is on Broadway. Uh, but we can come back to that. But you're right. Mean Girls interests me one because we're getting a Tina Fey is writing a Broadway musical. I think that's awesome. I'm also a huge fan of Nell Benjamin. I think she is an incredible writer, both as a lyricist and a playwright. I mean, I think she's great. Um, so the fact that we're getting her in a new musical that is going to have a big budget and a lot of buzz, 
I think that's fantastic. I also think that this cast is great. You know I'm a huge Ashley Park fan. I championed her to be cast in My Fair Lady. Um, We heard rumors that it was happening, but apparently not. Instead, she's a plastic. So I am. I'm like you. This is the show out of all of them that I'm the most excited about just because it represents something I don't know. I'm going in completely you know, fresh blind. with it. Blind. Yeah, I, I know nothing. You're seeing it on, you're seeing the first preview, right? Right. I'm seeing it exactly a week later. Um, so we'll be seeing it early in the process. And I'm super excited about that. Like we've talked about before. I, I've never seen the movie. I will watch the movie before I see the, the show. How, how have you stop, never stop. seen the movie? I'm 30, no. I'm 36 years old. This movie came out. That's, that's not an excuse. Right when I got out of college, I was not watching high school girl movies. When I was getting out of college, and I will watch it before I see it, but I'm excited about it just because the cast's great, the creatives are great, Casey Nicola's great, and it's something new. You're right, we don't have a ton of new shows on Broadway this year. I mean, let's look at this spring season. We have Travesties, Revival, Mean Girls, like we said, new, um, Iceman, Revival, Rocktopia is not really a show, it's a concert. Then we have Lobby Hero, which is making its Broadway debut, but had an off-Broadway run a decade or so ago. Then we've got Carousel, which is a revival. Three Tall Women, revival. Some of the Donna Summer musical is a jukebox musical, so we know the songs, we know who Donna Summer is. Harry Potter, not a revival, but it's based on a it was a play, but it was released as a book, so many people know the story already, even if they haven't seen it in London. Escape to Margaritaville jukebox angels in america revival saint joan revival frozen based on a wildly popular movie children of a lesser god revival and my fair lady revival so mean girls is literally the only uh, i mean granted it's based on a a movie but not you know frozen was based on a movie but it was a movie musical this is not a, a based on a movie musical so it's really the most original piece in this spring which is not saying much for something that's based on a movie but that that's what's got me excited i guess well, I mean, I think, you know, it has some good competition. SpongeBob sure. is going to, you know, and people are going to laugh at me for this, but SpongeBob is going to be, you know, hot this season, I think. Come Tony times, it'll definitely be up there. Uh, what, did we have any other musicals this year yet? I'm trying to, oh, The Band's Visit, of course. Uh, yeah, I was like, uh, The Band's which, Visit. Which was, which was brilliant. New musicals. Yes, new musicals, which I absolutely adored, The yeah. Band's Visit. Yeah, you've got, you've got The Band's Visit, you've got SpongeBob, you're going to have Mean Girls. Um, again, you'll have some of the Donna Summer musical. You'll have Frozen. Um, so not a ton, but yeah, there's there's a few. Um, not huge, you know, numbers or huge pieces. I mean, um, the band's visit. I it was good. It was fine. I didn't love it, um, but it's going to win everything because one, there's not a ton of competition. I can't see Tony voters getting behind Mean Girls or Frozen or SpongeBob for that matter. I can see those things maybe having some. Uh, ability to win other other prizes, but they're not going to win best musicals. You might as well just give it to Bands Visit now. Um, as much as you know, I love Patty. You know, Patty Murren's a friend. We've I've worked with her on stuff on Broadway World and Broadway Radio for years now. Frozen's not going to win. I mean, it's just not. So uh, you're really looking for things I mean, beyond I will that. Say, so, I I have to say that if we're talking Tonys, I truly, truly believe. Obviously, this is so subjective. This is so subjective. Don't say don't say how you came to this opinion because I think well, I know where you're no, going. No, I I'm going to say how you came to this opinion. Uh, on artistic merit, I truly believe that SpongeBob is the standout musical of the season so far. Oh, okay. I have to say that I think what they have done is taken such a 
odd concept and turned it into such a cohesive story. And the book is strong and the score is strong and the score is by people, by names, by big names. And the cast is outstanding and, you know, a mix of veterans and Broadway debuts uh, and giving giving sure. such unique performances. Uh, you will not see it anywhere else. It's staged brilliantly. Uh, Tina Landau, who put, you know, the whole project together is just amazing. I, I just want to get inside her head and, and you know, find out what makes it tick. And it's truly, it's truly as revolutionary as I think for The Lion King would have been to Broadway. I think it's that unique. And, you know, in terms of Tony's, I mean. All right, fine. I'll see I mean, it. Jesus. You were seeing it anyway. Don't pretend that I just convinced you. I, it's not, it's not on my list. I mean, it, it, I don't I mean, I don't have tickets yet. I, I, I mean, just, I, 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 have, I added I an have, extra day to my trip. I have the receipts, but. <laughs> But let me finish. Let me finish. What was I see now? I was in the middle of a sentence and I don't remember. You're rec- you're reclaiming your time. I'm reclaiming my time. Please stand down. Um, but going back to Tony's, I think when we're looking at sort of the touring market and I think that house presenters make up a pretty good chunk of voters, I think SpongeBob is up there. I think it's a real contender, maybe even more so than Mean Girls, because Tina Fey is not going to schlep around the country doing press in every single city on every single morning show. Maybe she is. I don't yeah. know. But, I, I mean, look, and I love her. Don't. Yeah, that's that's. But I think I think you're wrong on on something. I, I don't think there's any chance that anything other than the band's visit wins. I understand what you're saying about who are those 700 Tony voters and where they come from. But that was the argument against Fun Home. That was the argument. Well, against, see, I think Fun um, Home was better than the band's visit. Oh God, I'm going to get so many angry people. I do too. No, I do too. I, I mean, the band's visit was fine. I enjoyed the band's visit. I adored visit, it. I, I loved it with all my heart. Yeah, I don't adore it. No, I, I do not. But no, I'm just saying th- this is something that we've seen dating back to once when we thought these small, intelligent, low-key shows can't win because the tour presenters want these big-name shows to have Tony behind them. But I don't think it matters. I honestly don't think to... Uh, the mom and dad who are thinking about buying tickets to see SpongeBob SquarePants in Peoria, Illinois, they don't care if it won Tony's. So I really don't think that that's, I mean, I understand the argument and I've made it before, but I think we're to the point where we've learned, we have enough data in recent years where we saw big shows versus little shows where little shows won, that they just don't care if it has Tony next to it because the name SpongeBob SquarePants or Frozen or even Mean Girls, to a lesser degree, is going to sell a show where the band's visit, no one knows the movie The Band's Visit. Um, so if it says Tony Award winner for Best Musical, it might have a better chance to tour. Would Fun Home have toured for a whole year if it wasn't a Tony winner? Maybe, I, but I don't know. Well, uh, you I, know so well, I think that I mean, there's a difference. I, just, I, I feel like it could have, because I think there's definitely more gays in Peoria, Illinois, than there are Jews. Um, just, you know, putting that out there. Um <laughs> I'd like to look at that census data, but I mean, I'm just assuming. Do they do they even check LGBT status on the census? I'm not. I I don't don't know. I I have no idea. I don't know. You're not American. I'm not. I've never taken an American census, um, so I wouldn't be able to answer that. Well, we've just covered. But anyway, so we've gone. We've cut. We've just done a full. Yes. Yes. So okay. So talking about shows, you named like nine things that you're excited about. I'm also excited about. All of those things. Those are probably my four things I'm most looking forward to. I am seeing Lobby Hero. Super excited about that one as well. Um, I think that cast is just stupid good. Um, So I'm excited about that. So we've talked about shows. Is there a performer slash performance that you are most excited to see 
out of this spring slate of shows. And if you want to bleed into the summer, since we've got like, we literally have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five shows um, that will be beginning performances before the end of July. So it's not technically the spring season, but there's five more shows that are starting before uh, before summer ends. So if you want to throw those in as well, feel free. Um, hmm. I mean, wait, what was the question again? Just a performance that I wanted to, that I was excited for. Yeah, person, a performer, single, or a performance. A single performance yeah. or performer. Um, yes. Hmm, that is a good question. I mean, I haven't given this much thought, but I, I mean, I will say I'm really excited to see, uh, you know, the, the two, uh, leads of Frozen. Patty Mirren, of course, is a friend of the site, a friend of yours. Uh, you know, we love her. Uh, and I'm really excited to see what she does with Princess Anna. Cause I think we, you know, we, we all and- identify a bit with Princess Anna. She's a bit awkward, but she's, you know, fabulous. Uh, and I think, you know, that's something that we can all relate to. Uh, of course, um, Casey Levy is playing Elsa, she's from Hamilton, Ontario, so shout out to Canada. Um, <laughs> gotta, you know, gotta give it to her. I'm really excited to see what Jesse Mueller, I'm really excited to see what she does with Carousel. Uh, I've been obsessed with her since I found out that she can sing soprano. And then, you know, I found her, uh, <laughs> you know, in the Carousel concert, that video. Uh, she does a, she does yeah. a really great vanilla ice cream on YouTube. Uh, you know, from her Chicago theater days. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, from yeah, her yeah. Chicago theater that. days. I'm really excited to see what she does there because she's just such a versatile actress that you never know what she's going to put out there. Yeah, I, I, for me, I think all of those are great. Uh, obviously, I'm really excited for Patty because I think, I man, I, I think this role, like, I think this is, I, I don't know how they're going to classify it. Like, if I, if I was just saying based on the text. I would say Anna is the lead, but I think they'll probably, unless they put Elsa and Anna in the same category, I think Anna is going to be in the featured category, which to me means that Patty's got a legitimate shot at a Tony Award. Now, I haven't broken down all these things, so I don't know who's going in what category. I mean, category. that, that, um, but that I, makes sense to me. I will say that I think this is sort of, yeah. this is sort of like a, almost like a reverse Wicked, where Wicked had started out as sort of like the Kristen Chenoweth vehicle, uh, and it became sort of like the, you know over time alphabet just became sort of you know the prominent one there i think just based off how the narrative structure of frozen is laid out it lends itself that anna would be you know stage wise time the you know the leading actress correct uh but of course you know no one is above the title on that it's elsa's show no one is above the title on that project so it's whoever they petition to be in the other category if that's the route they go if they do um right but here's the here's the problem here's the problem with that the the performance that I am most excited to see, if Patty is in the featured category, the one I'm most excited to see, even more than Patty, is one that's going to be in that featured category, and that's Lindsay Mendez uh, in Carousel. I, I I just I I think this is such out of nowhere casting, and obviously Betsy Wolf let go from Frozen, let go from Carousel, and. We don't need to get into any other things there, but let go from Frozen and let go from Carousel. And then they bring in her. While her... we're shouting out to Betsy Wolf, um, go on Broadworld and find her performing Meadowlark from the Broadway Con opening ceremony because it's brilliant. Betsy Wolf, we love you. And you were there. You filmed it. I did. It. Yeah, you filmed it. Betsy, we, if you're listening, I don't think she does. But if you are, we, we love you. Uh, carry on. 
Yeah, after I just said she got fired from. Tuition. But we love her. We love her dearly. But anyway, um, I do love her. Yeah, you, you. We've talked about. We talk about Betsy a lot. We we both love her very much. But um, but Lindsay Mendez, I think is fantastic. I I think it's such a weird thing. We think of her as this crazy riffer, as this crazy belter. The fact that she's playing Carrie Pipperidge in this major revival of Carousel on Broadway really blows my mind. And, I, and, and I'm super excited about that, um, not only because I think she's fantastic, but she's you know, she's a Latina woman um, playing this part. Um, and I'm that's the one I'm most excited to see, I think, uh, even though I'm a little worried about Carousel just in general. I'm a little worried about Carousel with Jack O'Brien as the director. I'm a little worried about Carousel and how they deal with the fact that they're going to have um, a very big, strong, burly black man um, abusing his white wife. I'm a, I'm a little nervous about how they're going to do that. But I, but I think Lindsay's the one I'm most excited about in terms of a single performance. Alan. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see her. Uh, again, I'm really excited for Carousel. I really personally don't. I love the score. I hate the show. I just, I, I really do. I can't get past it. I've seen it staged brilliantly, and I still couldn't quite get past it. I know the context we're watching it in is historical. And yet I wonder, you know, do we need to be reviving Carousel? Can we just, you know, do Carousel in concert and just, you know, sing the songs beautifully? And at the same time, of course, you know, these are important conversations to be having. I'm not saying we should be censoring, you know, art or anything like that. I do wonder if it's the right time for a Carousel revival in the context of the current climate. But I am excited to see it, and I I truly hope that it's good. And I hope that you know, be it through a director's note or talkbacks or you know some way we're we're looking at it through the right context, because I think it's really easy to just put up the show and say you know oh it's historical. So I hope that something I hope that something happens there, where at the end we're leaving and having important conversations and not just all uncomfortable, and then we go home and we try to forget about it and remember that the songs were good. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's the case with both Carousel and My Fair Lady. If the directing is, I, I don't know, if the, if the directing is done with an appreciation for the history of the show in terms of the staging and the singing and, and all of that stuff, but keeping a foot firmly grounded in today's uh, environment and politics and consciousness, if they're able to walk that line and do both of these things, I think both of these shows can be huge, tremendous hits. Um, both artistically and commercially, but if they try to to veer either one way or the other and either become slavish to the original productions or the original conceits of the show, or if they try to go the other way and try to make it a very modern um, show and make it more political than in the show actually is, I think they're going to lose something. So I hope that these directors, who both have great track records, although Jack O'Brien's track record has not been as good in recent years um i think they have the ability to do that and i'm hoping that's what we end up with but i'm not necessarily feeling super confident about either at this point. i mean i'm i'm confident i will say i'm confident my fair lady will be a beautiful production and i think that we will all i think Agreed. we'll all enjoy it and um i i i tr i really trust um share because of his work that i've seen but specifically fiddler it was very true to the original artistic vision and yet very rooted in the current climate. And I think yeah. that he walked that line so carefully, but with so much respect to the work and to the audience that I think he's well suited for that type of project. 
Carousel really worries me um, as as just just you know as a as a work. I think it's a lot more problematic to begin with, and then of course you add what's going on in the world. And I can't imagine they're going to make significant book changes because I I'm just not sure how that would go about. No. Um, and there's only so much you can do with direction. That while I have in my mind sort of, you know, very clearly what I would want a My Fair Lady revival to look like and sound like, I can't, I can't articulate what it would take for me to be able to swallow the giant pill that is Carousel. And that's sort of where my concern comes in from is if I can't imagine what it would take for me to be comfortable with the material, I can't imagine that a director would be able to salvage the work. Uh my my only thing would be make Billy less sympathetic. I mean, I don't know how, I don't know if that's possible, but that's the only really way that I can imagine doing that. And if you remember before she was unceremoniously let go, and I'm not saying that this had anything to do with it, but I might be saying that this had something to do with it. Betsy Wolf talked in an interview with the interval, which is one of my favorite sites uh, online that her vision of carousel is that Carrie and Julie um, their relationship is really at the center of the show rather than Carrie and Mr. Snow or Julie and Billy. Um, and that is really more of a story about female friendship or sisterhood. And if they center the show on that and make Billy obviously still a big part of the show, because you, like you said, you can't rewrite it, but make him less sympathetic and don't try to explain away his bad behavior. Um, make it rooted in real life and make it a real character choice and, and make it obvious, but still show it for the bad action that it is, which I think they've done very, very well in Dear Evan Hansen. They've made it very clear why Evan makes the decisions that he does, but they also make it very clear that he's a complete asshole. Um, so I think if they're able to do that in Carousel... well. I can see that working. I don't know if they're able to I do mean, that. I mean, Evan, though. Evan gets a whole if song they can make that happen. to, you know, explain why he was an asshole. Um, and that's sort right. of my, my whole issue with that show, too. Uh, but less so because obviously he owns up to it. And, um, you know, no one is, you know, yeah. it's, it's not through rose colored glasses. So I get what you're saying. I'm not, I just, I don't see the how that would happen. Yeah, I don't either. That's what I'm saying. If they can do it, that's the only way to me that it kind of addresses some of the more problematic issues with that show. And, I, and to be honest with you, I don't know if, I don't know if Jack O'Brien can do it. Um, I saw his, his you don't have sound- to whisper. He can't hear you. Uh, he might be. Um, but no, I mean, I saw his sound of music and it was, it wasn't good. I mean, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't good. I mean, it was very much, There was a reason it never made it to Broadway. It was a show that looked and felt like a cardboard non-equity tour, and yet it had a three-time Tony-winning director and a very big budget. Um, And it was just... Eh. You know, it wasn't... You know. Anyway. So we've talked about shows. We've talked about performances that we're, we're looking forward to. So let's flip this a little bit, Alan, and before we wrap up here and head into our interviews. Of the shows that are launching in the spring not counting the things that launched before the end of 2017 so no spongebob no once on this island um no the play that goes wrong even going back to last season of the shows that are not limited runs what show do you think closes first oh god matt no no um i mean there's really only there's really only one answer 
I mean, I'm. I mean, I'm not gonna name a show. I. I really, and I'm. I mean, I know that you know this is all academic, but I really, I don't like to speculate about a show closing just because I have a lot of actor friends, um, and I know firsthand what it feels like when you know someone is out of a job, uh, and you know when a Broadway show closes, it's not just the actors. You know, we're talking. You know, a hundred plus people are really out of work. Of course. Um, and so I'm. I'm not gonna name a show just because it breaks my heart whenever we lose a show on Broadway. And, you know, while we're making room for new shows, I would rather all the shows just run forever and we just keep having to build new theaters and Broadway goes on forever. Um, That's the most Canadian answer you've ever given. I'm going to say it's going to be Summer, the Donna Summer musical. That's going to close first. I mean, I hope not. I hope I really hope that all I, I, I mean, hope all the shows come in and have, I, you know, super long runs and go forever. Not going to happen, though. Um, it, it, it's not going to happen. I love Ariana DeBose. I I love her. I love LaShawn's. One of my <laughs> one of my favorites, Whitney Basher. Her husband's in the show. Um, so I don't want anyone to lose their jobs. But I, I think what makes me most concerned about this show is how they're rushing it. It's not even the content of the show. Is they're rushing it to Broadway after mixed reviews out at La Jolla just so that it gets in before the share show so it doesn't have to compete with that one because they think that one's going to be better. Um, that's what's really making me feel like this show just isn't ready. And if they really were worried about giving this show its best opportunity, they would wait, continue to develop the show, maybe do another out of town tryout and then bring it in maybe next spring. It would still have to compete with share or bring it in next summer. So it's in a different season. Um, I'm more worried about the production side of this, the producing side of this, um, than the show itself. But you're right. We don't want any show to close prematurely. But they happen, and we really didn't have... What's been weird about this fall season, fall half of this season, Alan, is that we really haven't had a ton of things closed prematurely. I mean, I think you're forgetting the penultimate premature closing, Cats on Broadway. Stop it. That was a... A, not from this season. I, it was still, um, a, it was still a premature closing. Was it? I mean... It, it really was. It ran for a year and a half. I mean, it's that's, that's a pretty good run for a show that apparently... Everybody hates. Obviously, that's not true because it's run, you know, ran for twenty years originally, and you know, ran a year and a half here. But it's a show that left us far too. It, yeah, it's it's a show that it. left us far too soon, Matt. Stop it! You saw it nine times. Eleven. Oh Jesus Christ! Anyway, and, okay, and so- I would have seen it, and I would have seen it eleven more. And I will say the grosses were strong, and you know, those last weeks there were lines going around the block on Fifty Second to get in. And a cancellation line. So, Angela Weber, you you messed up, dude. Um, cats could still be running, and the grosses were good. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not bitter. I'm very yes, bitter. you are. We could break down these numbers and show you that it was not doing well in non-peaks times. But anyway, um, the other things that here's here's the thing that I'm looking forward to, Alan, and you and I will be sitting next to each other when we see it. I'm looking forward to the New York City Center Encore's production of Grand Hotel. As of this recording, we still don't know who the hell is going to be in it, but I'm sure the cast is going to be great. I am hoping for Helena York and and Rob McClure. Those would be two of my people in in those roles. So that's what I'm hoping for. But I'm I'm really excited about that one, um, which we're going to see next month. Yeah, it's next month now. Yeah, that's so soon. Yeah, so I'm actually seeing I'm actually seeing Hey Look Me Over Encores this Friday. Oh, are you really? Very cool. That's got a great cast. I am. Oh, I'm so excited. Well, Matt, I think that's all the time we have to talk upcoming Broadway today because our next guests just got here. 
Uh, so why don't we turn it over to them? Just got here. Like we're in a studio and we're not a thousand miles away. But okay, you got. You have to fake your production values till you make it, Matt. I, I know. I'm going to put in fake canned applause. This is what we do. <laughs> we're not campy at all. And now we're here with Maggie Hollenbeck and Natalie Storrs of Red Roses Green Gold, now playing Off-Broadway. So good to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, And so quickly for our listeners who uh, are not familiar with the show, can you guys just give us a very sort of brief rundown on what Red Roses Green Gold is about? You want to take it away, Maggie? You've got this down. (laughs) Sure, (laughs) sure. Um, Red Roses Green Gold is is a really fun... Um, sort of a, uh, an irreverent story about a family of gamblers and swindlers who maybe don't lead the most above board lives, but, uh, <laughs> but they're a family above all. And when the family comes under threat, uh, they pull together in, in the best ways that they know how. Uh, which includes some uh, some shady happenings, maybe, but they <laughs> they do what they do best in order to save the family, to save the homestead, and um, and to put each other first in a way that maybe you didn't think they were going to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and since you're fielding the first question, I guess I'll hop right into your character, Miss Glendine. Uh, she's sort of got this neat backstory that we learn in the second act, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, but for mm-hmm. those of us, again, who don't haven't seen the show, can you sort of tell us a little bit about Miss Glendine? Uh, sure, sure. Miss Glendine is the uh, longtime love interest of the patriarch of the family that I was speaking about, the Joneses. Um, and so uh, she's sort of a, an unofficial stepmother to Natalie's character, Melinda, and Melinda's brother, Mick. And uh, and is sort of the maternal force of the family, even though she's even though she won't marry Jack Jones um, (laughs) for her own reasons. Um, But, yeah, that's that's her character. And I thought that really sort of looking at the show, uh, your character specifically was really sort of, you know, in a show that can be so irreverent. I thought your character was really grounding and sort of holding us together, especially as we, you know, got through act two, uh, where things take a bit of a twist. I thought that was sort of really sort of the, the through line there was that, you know, you, the show is really about sort of the family that sticks together and you're really sort of the one who pushes it in that direction. Mm, Thank you. I'm so glad that that comes across. (laughs) Yeah. I feel, I feel the same way. I feel that, uh, that Glendine, um, for being the person who's not blood family, uh, I think in some ways she sees the, um, she sees the good of, of family being family first for each other. And, uh, and she does sort of hold everybody to that standard. And I think she's disappointed when she thinks that maybe not everybody's going to go there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, Family is maybe uh, maybe the most important thing to her. Mm-hmm. Now, Natalie, your character has sort of, you know, a bit of a reluctance, you know, to sort of play along, I think, 
at the start, but then she sort of warms up a bit to all the goings on. Uh, can you talk a bit about your character, Melinda? Sure. Um, well, Melinda is the second child of Jack Jones, who is the patriarch of, of the family. Um, she's the one who, whereas uh, her older brother Mick has been kind of this, you know, gambler and swindler and and maybe not so good doer <laughs> um, <laughs> and has been running all around uh, different towns. He left home to to gamble and, and, you know, swindle his way around. Um, but she actually has stayed home at the palace mine to essentially take over running everything. Um, she's much more practical and much more, <laughs> I guess just practical is, is the word when it comes to, you know, looking at what's going on with, um, the fact that family's in debt and all of a sudden the bank has come to, um, collect the money that they owe them or they are going to take the palace and the mine away. And she is just trying to do as much work to keep the mine running, to figure out how to get the money to pay it off. Um, she might not be quite as, you know, <laughs> uh, creative as her father in coming up with, uh, <laughs> the schemes at first. Um, but, uh, she does have, she does have the Jones blood in her. Uh, we find mm-hmm. out. <laughs> And so talking about the show, uh, one of the things that sort of struck me as really remarkable here, uh, is that, you know, you guys are all playing the whole score. Uh, there, there's no sort of additional band here. Can you talk a bit about what that process was like, especially because, you know, it is, uh, sort of an existing repertoire of music when we talk about the Grateful Dead. Uh, but, you know, that's not necessarily the simplest, uh, you know, stuff to play to begin with. And then, you know, you also have to do it in a certain style that, you know, the fans are expecting, people who are coming Mm -hmm. to hear it. Uh, At the same time, it's now theatrical. What was that process like getting into the room and learning the score and then putting it up on stage, you know, with everything? Uh, It was a really cool process, I have to say. Natalie and I were both uh, involved from from the start, from last summer, and it, it really started with our, our music team and Jeff Comenti, our music supervisor, bringing in chord charts, like mm-hmm. the simplest yeah. of the simple chord charts for, for the songs that they expected to be in the show. And what was, what was really fun was that <clears throat> it was sort of like, hey, why don't you grab that instrument? You grab that instrument. You, you get on this one and then let's just like play it and let's see what happens. And then, you know, someone might have gone, well, hey, I think maybe, maybe, uh, you know, Brian might have said, I, I think I can hear a fiddle thing here. And so let me jump over to fiddle and see how that goes. And so we really got to build the score from scratch ourselves with, of course, you know, then there was zhuzhing. And when Andy Peterson came on board, he, he um, moved some people around for, for various reasons, staging or whatever, or just to round out a sound. But it was really exciting to be uh, to be able to shape it from the very beginning like that. And yeah, yeah, go well, ahead. I, not to no, I'm uh, not to interrupt you, Maggie. I, I I agree with everything that you said, and it was like what still blows my mind is that we really came at this music and developed it as a band, mm-hmm. you know, from scratch. And sometimes, I mean, mm-hmm. we would play you know a couple of versions of of uh the tracks of of the songs um that had been recorded and listen to them and go oh okay well we could do something like that and then 
Jeff Kimenti, who is our music supervisor, comes from the world of of Dead and Co. and and really knows what the fans of the music are going to want to hear. So then he was there to fine tune um, what we created as this band, truly from scratch, and you know bring out the certain aspects of the of the songs that um, were really necessary. Going to just add that. Uh, it was also it was it was fun to to work with Jeff and to work with the team to find some songs that we really were going to make our own, you know, and mm-hmm. like like really bring them into more of the of the Cumberland Mine world. And then there were moments where there was a song that you know maybe Jeff felt this one we really need to to shape ourselves more around what the dead did originally. Mm-hmm. And, and that was, that was cool to, to find moments where we had to really pay tribute and had to, you know, really honor the, the original sound and then times where we could, could branch out. Now you guys sort of touched already on honoring the original and especially uh, the Grateful Dead fans. What has it been like having sort of these non-traditional theater going fans uh, come out to the show because that's something I hear a lot about. That you know, the Grateful Dead fans, are, f- Grateful the Flans, not Flans, fans <laughs> are um, are flocking to the show. What has that been like? That has been for. I mean, it has been so much fun. Um, mm-hmm. The the Deadheads and the the fans of the music have on have truly been my favorite audience members. It's definitely not your traditional New York theater going on, <laughs> um, and to be honest, right from the beginning, we're telling people, go ahead, you know, sing along with us and go ahead. And if you want to get up and dance, go ahead and dance, because that's what the that's what deadheads do. Yeah, that's, at, that's at, the dead. Yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly what they do. And um, so when we do have houses full of of Grateful Dead fans, it's just it's usually we've had some we've had some <laughs> really interesting experiences, but <laughs> normally it's uh, it's this feeling of just this incredible love and happiness and gratitude. Truly, they are gr- so grateful. <laughs> Not to you, no you know, pun intended. but you know, no <laughs> pun intended. But to be hearing the music and um, to be singing along and to be engulfed in the sound um, and uh, it's just it's been so great to have people stand up and dance or you know, really audibly sing along and, and seeing this, the, the joy on people's faces has been a really cool experience. Yeah, I think that's been tremendous fun. The, Jerry Garcia, you know, Jerry Garcia's ethos was if it ain't fun, don't do it. You know, mm-hmm. and that's that was kind of what the what the Grateful Dead was built on. And the fans bring it like they they are there to have fun they are there to have a really joyous time. And when they're there, they sort of infect everybody, you know, us on stage, as well as, you know, the audience just sort of, uh, I think, loosens up and has more fun. Just <laughs> uh, maybe because the theater going people in the audience kind of don't know what, what to make of the people getting up in the aisles and dancing yep. in the middle of the show or, um, or sing or singing along. I mean, we've, you know, there, we do some of the Grateful Dead classics in this show. We do Ripple and oh gosh, we do so many of them. Cumberland Touch of Blues. Gray. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Touch of Gray. And, uh, we've had, uh, when Scott and I are out on stage singing Ripple, we have had several times the entire audience singing along with us. 
it's like the biggest, happiest campfire you ever went to. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's I mean, real- and that's kind of the that's kind of the the feeling of not just like a dead show, but kind of just the dead in general. It's a big community. It's fun. It's freewheeling. It, it's kind of, well, in more ways than one, it's probably a little <laughs> loose. But um, but I mean, I feel like that's kind of if you're going to do a, a show with dead music, it has to be that way. You can't try to fit the square peg that is a dead you know, show into the round hole of a traditional theater piece or a traditional theater mentality, at least. Yeah, that was super important to the producers, honestly. <laughs> so much so that at certain points they they told our our um, wonderful uh, house staff, like, no, you can't go tell people to sit down. Like, no, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it was really important to them to allow people to, you know, express themselves in dance and singing and. <laughs> that was yeah that got a mixed reaction from the more theater going crowd but honestly i loved it i loved every minute of it <laughs> well it was interesting about you know this and like i said alan's seen the show i i haven't but um what's so interesting to me about this is that we talk so much about whatever jukebox musicals or whatever you want to call it and there's seems to be like a delineation between um like bio musicals and shows like yours mm-hmm. that you know, take the the catalog of a certain artist or a band and build a story around that, or they have a story and they think that the music works. You know, it's also one of the, you know, the producing company behind your show is the same group that did Million Dollar Quartet, which is obviously much more of a real life bio musical kind of stepping away from your show in general. And I'm sure in your careers, this isn't the first quote unquote jukebox musical that you've at least been a part of. But where do you where do you come down on these things? Is it too much? Um, Alan and I have this conversation all the time. You know, I'm I'm someone who believes that if a show is good, who cares where the source material is from? But as people who make your livings in music and in theater, is does there need to be a little bit differentiation between that? Or should we, you know, embrace these popular music, you know, catalogs coming into the theatrical space? For well, for me, if the music is great, then the music is great. Um, I've, I like you said, I've done all types of the jukebox musicals at this point, and <laughs> yeah, I've I've really loved doing, um, you know, both. I and and I definitely have loved doing uh, original stories with, you know, uh, music from from popular culture. Um, I, what other uh, ones have you? What other what other shows have you done in this vein? Uh, well, I've done the Marvelous Wonderettes multiple times, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is a, a joy, just a joy. Um, oh gosh, what else? There's uh, trying to go through the annals of my brain. What about you, Maggie? I'm trying to think too. You know, it's funny. I I'm I'm not sure I have done uh, a jukebox musical yet until before oh. this one. Um, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I was involved with once, which I think sort of, uh, straddles, straddles the line. The line. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, but I wouldn't actually consider it a jukebox musical because the, because the music was mostly right. conceived for a film, you know, so it was, um, source material for a story, but, uh, I, you know, I, I'm kind of in the same vein. I mean, there's, you know, there's me, the actress and the professional, Who's like, hey, you want to create more work for us to do? <laughs> Bring it on, absolutely, you know. And and then there's also, you know, the theater goer. And the truth is that, you know, 
I, I can be as snobby as sort of the next person when it comes to <laughs> my art form. And I, I, I love, um, I, I tend to be someone who like really loves heavier pieces and pieces that, you know, have more gravitas. But the truth mm. is that when I see a good show that makes me snap my fingers or makes me smile, makes me dance in my seat and I have a good time. I mean, I, I saw Million Dollar Quartet, a regional production a few years ago, and I had such a good time. I mean, that mm-hmm. music, so much fun. And to, to be in an audience full of people who were having a ton of fun, and a lot of them were, you know, maybe older people who, who remembered that music from their younger days. Awesome. It was awesome. And yeah. Yeah, I just I think there's I think there's room for all of it. I, I love that there is room in this art form for Mamma Mia and uh, Dear Evan Hansen and American Idiot and <laughs> Big River and you know everything yeah. in between. It's it's one of the reasons why I love this art form. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you guys are we're, we're recording on Monday, February 5th. And just today it was announced that you guys are going to be doing a special performance at South by Southwest, which is kind of like one of the meccas of music uh, in this country. What What are your thoughts on going down there and presenting this show to a bunch of really diehard music fans in a place outside of New York that maybe doesn't have the understanding of the conventions of musical theater. So they're not going to be wrapped up in the, you know, sit in your seat and be really refined, you know, during this performance. Well, I'm super a honored that we get to go, uh, perform there. Um, yeah, it's theater has not really been featured yet at South by Southwest, as you were saying, you Mm -hmm. know, they, the, the, there's, um, you know, movies and, and music. And I believe that we're one of the first, uh, kind of more oh, theatrical cool. groups that will be performing. And, um, yeah, I think we might I, even be the first, I think we are the first. Yeah. So that's, that's inc- an incredible honor. And I'm also so excited. Um, I, I think that we bring, um, an energy and a life to this really fantastic music that, you know, people can't help but love. And, and the people who do love the music are the ones who have loved our show the most. So I think, I think it's going to be a really incredible experience. I completely agree. I, everything Natalie said, it's a huge honor. And I think, I think we're going to have a great time. I think whoever comes around to listen to us, will have a great time. And, um, I, I think it's actually a perfect, uh, place to, to sort of launch what, you know, wherever, wherever this show goes next. Um, yeah. because it's planning, it, it is talking about a, a, a tour in 2019. So that's, so wherever that goes next, that is at least in the plans as far as I understand. Correct. Yeah. 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 And, and a cast and, album and stuff too. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's about the music. I mean, this, you know, it's a, it's a really fun show that at the end of the day is, is about having fun and hearing some really rockin' music. And we are, I am so, I feel so fortunate every day to come to the theater and work with this incredible cast. I mean, these people are all just bonkers talented. 
And, uh, and when we, when we light up on this music, it's, it's a really good time for everybody. So I'm excited to, I'm excited. Well, I mean, well, who knows how it'll actually go, but I, I think we'll all have a really good time, audience included. Yeah. Now, sort of looking at your show, I mean, I think that's sort of the one thing that absolutely no one can disagree with. It's really sort of an amazing time. And I want to talk just a bit about that before we had to wrap up, especially the performance I was at. I was there on sort of a, on a, you know, a cold, really cold winter's weekday evening show. And I think the audience was maybe skewing a little more to sort of a downtown theater crowd versus deadheads. And sort of about like 10 or 15 minutes in, you guys had just roped everyone in that theater into the story and everyone was having a good time. And the guy on the aisle with the broken leg was half dancing. And it was just, <laughs> the whole room was uh, was bopping, as they say. What is that sort of like when you first get on stage and you're reading the room uh, and, you know, you're sort of, you know, determining how the evening's going to go? This is such a unique project. What's sort of that like on a night-by-night basis? Well... For me, I, you know, we all, it's, it's really, I think what really gets us into it is that we, we do start the show with kind of a jam session Mm -hmm. and we just tune in with each other musically. And I get to just head out straight into the audience and just start chatting it up with people, (laughs) which, you know, it drops me right in. And, um, once once I start, there's just no going back energy wise. It's a really high energy show for me. Um, and no matter what, that's, that's always going to get me through it. But, um, you know, it's, it's definitely wonderful when, when we do have everyone roped in and everyone's on board. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's obviously when it's the best. And, uh, you know, if it's a quieter night, then, it's just so wonderful to tune in to, to the cast and, um, you know, to really jam out with everybody and like live in this music that we're making together. Yeah. And one of the things that we've talked about quite a bit backstage is that it's, it can be hard at times to read what's going on in the audience because yeah. we've, I mean, I can't even count the number of times where we, we, had a quieter audience. We had an audience that maybe, you know, were more like people that would smile rather than laugh, you know, that kind of, you know, just a, a quieter audience. And we thought, Oh gosh, maybe, maybe they're not with us. I don't know, but you know, <laughs> maybe they hate us. <laughs> yeah. But we go out and we give our energy and we give our love out. And, um, and then at the end of the show, they're up out of their seats and they're, you know, yelling and singing along and, and screaming. And we go, Oh, they, okay, got it. They were with us. You know, that has happened much more often than not happening, you know, where, where they're, where they are are quiet all the way through the end. So this show surprises me all the time. Um, when the audience, uh, like is more vocal and they let us know they're with us from the beginning, of course, then there's, you know, there's an energetic exchange that happens there, but, Either way, when we get to the end of the show and everybody's having a great time and is up out of their seats, it's just it's just an awesome feeling. It's it's um it's I mean it's why we do it, right? It's why we come here is to give people a really great fun night at the theater. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, guys. Thank you're you. You're so welcome. welcome. 
catch Maggie and Natalie in Red Roses Green Gold, now in its limited engagement through February 18th at the Minetta Lane Theater. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Pottest Couple. I'm Alan Henry. And I'm Matt Tamanini. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pottest Couple. And don't forget to subscribe for our newsletter on our website at www.pottestcouple.com to make sure you never miss when a new episode goes up. Did I f*** it up again? No, you just said it like you said it like you're Speedy Gonzalez. www.